Hello, Internet. My name is Walter Ciades Fedchuk, and welcome back to another episode of the Rough Dra- uh, the Final Cut Podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. That is a mouthful. I need to remember that. <laughs> um, this is the second episode of 2023. Uh, this is the 27th episode or something since we've come back to doing this. Um, and I, I want to apologize <laughs> to everyone just right off the bat. Uh, haha, pun. I, I'm sure you have all seen the title of the movie that we are covering today. It is the title of this podcast. Um, and oh boy, I, I, you know, let me bring in my guest, my, uh, my, my podcast co-host here, Chase Wassner, so he can explain why we watched Morbius this week. Chase, what happened? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give the apology to our listeners here. Uh, it all started when, uh, we were planning on watching a movie that has been uh, nominated or will be nominated for some Oscars. I don't think the Oscar nominations are formalized, but they've, it's been nominated for a whole bunch of other things. And I was very much excited to watch it. And then my roommate has it on Blu-ray and he really wanted to watch it with me. And the timing didn't work out. So I went to Walter and I'm like, hey, can we watch another movie for this week? And I accepted when I was making that, that whatever Walter said, was gonna be the path that we took. I, I did not feel fair to impose not only a delay, but also we're watching my thing as well. And Morbius came up because how could it not? It's been such a meme for forever. Uh, it is a Marvel film that does not require me to have watched multiple Disney Plus shows, which means it is somehow more approachable for me than the Doctor Strange film. and. All the others, I'm sure, will inevitably get to at some point. And I, you know, I like bad films. And so I said yes. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you, listeners at home. I'm sorry to, to you, Walter. I'm sorry to your, your lovely girlfriend who didn't deserve to be stuck watching this film either. This is all ultimately on me. So I'm taking accountability. Um, and I, I, I hope that you can... Uh, forgive me, uh, unlike Jared Leto's performance, which is truly unforgivable. I, I do forgive you, but I just want the viewers and, and the listeners at home to understand what a fantastic idea Chase thought this was. And I quote, I know what we must do, me. It's morbing time. Chase responds, what have I done? But yes, let's do it. Walter, you got a better idea? To which Chase responds, oh no, I think it's a great idea. A terrible, awful, fantastic idea. So <laughs> I channeled my inner is, Grinch on that one. Uh, <laughs> Chase truly is the root of all evil <laughs> on the Final Cut podcast. It took forever for you to finally become the heel, Chase. You know, I didn't think that I would fit into this role, but I found a way. Um, and you know, that's really, that's character growth at the end of the day, which is something that doesn't appear in the film we're talking about. So, uh, <laughs> at least we're well, having some here. Well, Jared Leto's muscles grow and Matt Smith's muscles grow. So I guess that there's something true. And like their teeth grow and they grow some like bat wings or something. I, I, I don't know. It's still a mess, but you know what? We will get to that because as we've already completely spoiled and, and completely, you know, given away the game, we are talking about Sony Pictures, Morbius, a movie that was made in conjunction with Marvel 
Because let us not forget, all of these Spider-Man characters are owned by Sony. So we have to deal with that bullshit, if we're going to be frank. So Chase, going into the Sony Spider-Verses Morbius... I know we've seen all the memes. I know there's been all the jokes. I know we somehow convinced Sony to put it back in theaters and it made even less money. (laughs) What were your expectations going into this? Well, you know, going in, it was going to go one of two ways, right? There was never a moment in which I thought that it could be good or even decent. Like that had been dismissed long ago. The memes have been there for too long. The clips that trended on social It was never going to be a film that I enjoyed on its merits. The question was always, is this a film that's so bad it's good, or is it a film that's so bad it's bad? Those were the only two options on the table. And people that I respected on on social media uh, argued that it was so bad it's bad, that it was just boring. And for the record, it is a very dull film if you break it down on an individual scene level. But see, Walter, I'm a writer, and I found this fascinating. Because ultimately, I think you could take... This film should be in every screenwriting class in the country. They should just watch it as a class, and it should be a pause after every scene, and the professor should look at everyone and say, okay, so how would you write the scene if it was a good film? Like, what is the right way to handle this scene? Uh, Because every single one of them is wrong in a way that is fascinating to me because you would think on accident they might have come up with the best way to do a bad idea. Then they never do. It's the worst way to do a bad idea every time. And I find that fascinating. So I'm glad we're talking about it. I am on the camp of it's so bad it's weird, which is this kind of middle ground, I guess, between those two. How did the, I don't know how this happened. I don't know how, how this film was allowed to release in this state. So here, here's, the, here's the problem, Chase, and here's how this happened, right? Is that they made a Venom movie with Tom Hardy. I don't know if you happened to watch it. It was, it was decent. It, it wasn't awful, but it wasn't like God tier. It wasn't like one of the most amazing things we've ever seen. It was like, it was decent. It was okay. There were definitely some problems with it. I think the Mark Zuckerberg allegory they had in there that that turned into uh, to uh, uh, whatever the other one was. It wasn't Carnage, but it, it's kind of funny. Then the Woody Harrelson bit at the end where he ends up being Carnage is kind of cool. Like, hey, I get it. Awesome. So then they're like, cool, we're going to do all the Spider-Man stuff. The lighthearted, kind of funny. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, there's no real crazy life or death stakes until the most recent movie um, where, you know, they fucking kill Aunt May. Uh, spoiler alert, Marissa Tomei is now dead in the, in the Spider uni- Spider-Man universe instead of Uncle Ben, which, hey, if we want to get into comic books of when Aunt May dies, fine, we can totally argue about that later. Um, but they were like, okay, we did the super gritty Venom movie, we did a bunch of these lighthearted Spider-Man movies, let's do Venom again. Let's try and do Venom again, but let's do it with Morbius. But they somehow forgot all the fucking comedy that was in Venom all the humorous moments that happened. And instead we're like, Hey, let's just make a a boring action monster flick. And at one point I looked at my partner. I was like, Oh, it's Dr. Jack. It's, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. 
Like, that's literally what they're fucking ripping off here mm-hmm. is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I'm going to be honest, that's not the Morbius I remember from the cartoon series. He's not like that. He's just like Spider-Man, except a bat bit him and he's a bad guy instead because he was kind of like, you know, kind of uh, an ethical researcher prior to it, because that's really the big difference between Peter Parker in like the cartoons and all of his villains is like. He is a young researcher that hasn't gotten to the point that he could even attempt to break his ethics. And all of his villains are researchers and scientists that have no ethical morals. So it doesn't tell this story. Yeah, there's if you go to the origin story of Morbius, and I understand that holding any of these films, whether it be the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the Sony Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, is a little bit silly, but like a very basic core element of Morbius is that the first person he kills is the best friend that is played by Matt Smith. It goes by a different name, but whatever, creative license there isn't a concern. Uh, But the idea, right, is that he is turned dark, that his aspirations become more and more twisted as he deals with the guilt of having killed someone that he cares about so much. And if that was the film, right, if Morbius uh, kind of was a slow descent into madness, a full-on embrace of the Jekyll Hyde concept, that would have been an interesting film, right? Because then the, the antagonist would have been somebody trying to put a stop to Morbius going crazy. And what an interesting twist that would have been, right? To have a film in which the main character was the villain, and the antagonist was the quote-unquote hero, that would have been a really interesting angle to take, and that's something that's core to who Morbius is in the comics. So, of course, like with every comic, I'm sure there have been rewrites and retcons and whatever else, so uh, let me know on Twitter uh, if I uh, have not hit where the current Morbius is and if this is more accurate to whatever, but that would have been way more interesting, right? Like, this whole thing ends up kicking off with him killing a bunch of people on a boat that we don't care about and who are really quick to bring the guns out. Like, they just assume that Morbius needs to be killed well before there is any establishment that they could possibly know about what has happened to him. Um, But I guess when I say we started there, that's kind of a misnomer, right? That's when the movie actually starts. But the movie, physically does not start there, does it? No. And and honestly, Chase, this movie starts like three or four times. <laughs> That's the craziest part about it. Is we've got this like this right at the beginning scene where he's in some he's in Costa Rica landing by a, a, a helicopter on some like cliff edge, which I'm pretty sure that's not FAA regulation in terms of the space that they can land on there. But like, whatever, it's Costa Rica. They probably have different regulations. They use the metric system or something ridiculous. <laughs> to which he sets up a trap to capture vampire bats that he lures in by cutting open his hand. Which, hey, let's continue this fucking demonic like misinterpretation of fucking vampire bats. Like, yeah, do they drink blood? Absolutely. But they're not, like, fucking piranhas, which is what the movie makes them out to be. And he just stands there with his hand out, and, like, they come flying towards him, like that fucking scene in Batman, where he's, like, standing in the cave, and they all swirl around him, and you're like, ooh, foreshadowing. And then that scene ends, 
And then it's a flashback to 25 years earlier when he's a kid in Greece in some, you know, hospital that deals with children that have these bloodborne illnesses. But like the two kids that are there are American and British. Why the fuck are they in Greece? Like what was the entire point of that? That made no sense. And then it goes into a scene where he's winning the Nobel Peace Prize, and not the Nobel Peace Prize, but a Nobel Prize for creating artificial blood. And then it smash cuts to him in a hospital bed with a little girl talking about how he thumbed his nose, not only at the Swedish king, but like the prime minister in their entire country because he apparently declined the Nobel Prize. What the fuck is this pacing? <laughs> Every step was wrong, right? Because we start with that crazy bat scene where he summons them basically with his palm. And I still don't know when in the film, timeline-wise, that's meant to happen. Because, for the record, Wikipedia just drops that scene. Wikipedia does not know what to do with it when it goes to the uh, plot description. You would think, right, that like this is how he gets the bats and that big uh, kind of uh, tube that he has in his lab because he had to get all those bats somehow, but he doesn't have the ability to control bats at that point in the story, if that's when it happens. So you would imagine it has to happen after that because otherwise the bats would have come and attacked him because it's established in the story that that's what these bats do, which is not how the bats work, but it sure is how it's presented here. So... When does it happen then? It can't happen at any other point in the film because there's no time for him to go and make that trip. And if it happens after the events of the film, is did he just kill all those people? Like, Cade with him? No, like, no, there was no, a no, weird, no, no. like, evil laugh. No, 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 no. So, Chase, uh-huh. it happened in between the the childhood in the, the hospital and him denying the Nobel Peace Prize. But then it's how did prize, he the capture prize. them? Because he can't control the he bats. Had a trap. None right, of... He had a trap. I I mean I That's did not the thing is that he's standing behind. It's a trap of some kind. I mm, I hear what you're saying, <laughs> and I guess that's the only way any of this remotely makes sense but we don't see the trap work in any meaningful way. And all of the people who are piloting the helicopter point out that they're not going to be here for it. So he still doesn't have a way to get out and get them back. If that's, there's a lot about that scene that just really doesn't add up. Even if you go with the idea that he's somehow able to create this perfect trap and use his hand to to draw them in at the exact angle that's going to make sure that he's not affected in any way, despite the fact that given that they're flying, I don't know how the hell that trap would remotely work. Um, And certainly the people who are driving the helicopter don't seem to have much faith in it. But to start there, and then go back to a hilariously badly written scene in which it turns out that Greek school kids just bully anyone with a disability just off the cuff. Like, don't get me wrong. I understand kids suck, but like usually, at least from my discussions with people who have had disabilities or whatnot, like the problem comes with people not treating them like people, right? That they're not seen or or respected. They're kind of like forced into the margins, you know, or if they're being bullied, it's because they're the ones at school who stand out 
as the weird kids. These are just random kids in a hospital, as far as the school kids are concerned. And they beat the crap out of uh, poor Milo um, for having a letter that he wants to pick up. Like, it is really weirdly one note in order to justify this us-against-the-world angle that becomes the kind of ethos of Matt Smith's character in this. And it's so heavy-handed, and it's so poorly presented, and it's just... it's just a fucking mess. All of it is a mess. And to your point, they take the time to show the scene of him being at the Nobel Prize reception but they only explain what happened in a conversation with someone else about the thing that he said instead of just showing us the thing that he said right like you already have the scene set up why not just continue the scene and have us see him explain how the whole thing is bullshit and they, he doesn't he's not able to accept their award and you hear like the gasps from the audience and like oh, I can't believe that our award is being denied and you know someone maybe off you know he walks off and he's like you know like a friend or a mentor is like oh you shouldn't have done that and he's like they needed to hear it so like anything anything and they just don't it's fascinating every step of this intro sequence is just wrong it's just fundamentally not how you write a story. It's incredible. It's incredibly terrible. Which I do have to say, maybe a, a spot of smart writing was them denying the Nobel you know, Science Prize or whatever. Um, because science purely does not actually exist in this movie. Like, it's not a fucking thing. My my partner, it, you know, she wants to go to school to be a... a work with prosthetics so she has like a biology background and a and you know kind of science background and like multiple times she's like that's not how dna works wait that's why are you why so you're just gonna give him a lumbar but oh no you're just gonna inject it right into his spine like some of the commentary about the medical and the science stuff behind it which well walter it's a fucking movie what do you want i was like i don't know maybe just like a tiny bit of realism like just just explain like what you're doing is like oh you're combining we're combining dna right you don't combine dna by just like putting it into a computer program and being like done now you have bat human hybrid dna like none of it makes sense and i guess the more you talk about it and the more you like describe stuff it makes it make even less sense but there's no explanation for anything other than just like this one really weird kind of throwaway line where he's like oh, well, vampire bats have, like, a special anticoagulant so they can drink blood and it doesn't, like, you know, stuff up their uh, their uh, digestive system and they secrete an enzyme from a gland. And it's like, okay, then why don't you use the enzyme to create a drug or to create a treatment instead of being like, nah, dude, I gotta splice my DNA with fucking bat DNA. And, like, I swore... I swore to myself for like a minute when that little girl was, was, you know, dying in her bed and they like put her to sleep and she, he like looked back into the laboratory. I really thought the direction of this film was going to go. He was going to inject her with it. She was going to die. He was all of a sudden become disgraced. And like, that was what was going to push him into doing these like fucking really weird experiments in Costa Rica or off the coast, like not 
13 miles off the course coast of Long Island, which is literally what they say in the movie, is that he's on a tanker. And, like, I guess that's technically international waters, but, yeah, like, really, man. guys? International like, are you waters fucking kidding me? Solves really? everything. Um, though, apparently, it doesn't actually solve anything because they're still able to be prosecuted for all those murders in a crime that is very neatly solved, right? Like, they don't take a moment to immediately suspect Morbius, despite the fact that given that the camera's were wiped out. Uh, the doctor, who is the romantic interest for Morbius, refuses to say anything, and all of the other people involved are dead. How the fuck do they know it's Morbius? How do they know he's remotely involved at all? But they, like, it is a homing missile from what must be the greatest cops in the world. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, any other cops would be like, hey, there's one person on this boat that eight other people are dead and they're not saying anything. I'm pretty sure they're the fucking murderer. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm pretty sure Bancroft would be considered the prime suspect if she's not saying a goddamn thing. Like, okay, well, we're going to put you on trial for murder and the evidence points to you because uh, you fucking were there. (laughs) Yeah. That's easily what cops would do. It's just... (sighs) At the very least, you wouldn't immediately assume that the crippled guy, as far as you know, is physically incapable of this crime, would be at all a suspect, right? There must be some other doctor at this facility who might also be doing experiments. But at the same time, apparently, Morbius just has, like, a full-on, like, I mean, the lab that he has is just wild for the facility that he's in. Uh, the fact that it has the full-on, like, tube of bats that can be very easily opened via a code that he apparently does not change, which really seems <laughs> like a huge security risk, given that this is supposed to be on the down low, at least as far as he describes it. It's just, it is incredible how many set pieces this film is able to fumble. Like, none of it makes sense. None of it holds up to even a, like, preliminary line of questioning. It's just so clear that the script was written with the idea of, well, he has to get to this point. So how do we get there? Well, you know, in in the case of, of the cops, right? Well, we need him to be investigated because we need him to go on the run because we need the cops to be on his tail because we need them to think that Lucian is, the like, that all of of uh, Lucian's crimes are actually uh, Dr. Morbius's crimes. So they have to already have that idea so that they can figure that out, which means they have to see him, which means they need to have like, it's so clear what they were doing as far as like trying to connect these set pieces, but they were so busy trying to figure out what the set pieces were going to be that they didn't take a moment to think about if there was even a little bit of internal logic that would drive these points. There's no cause and effect. There's just, this scene needs to happen, this scene needs to happen, and we don't really care how we get there. At any point, there is not an ounce of caring about whether this is the way that this would actually play out. But but you know what? I do have to give... Daniel Espinosa here a little bit of credit because he didn't show us a missing vial of the treatment on the table 
when it was clear the moment Lucian fucking walked into that room is like, oh, he's going to take one of those vials and go get him, like, get injected with it, right? Like, the nurse dying, the most obvious thing was like, oh, that's fucking Lucian. Like, Lucian injected himself and then killed the nurse because he needs to feed, right? Like, yeah. And it's, it's that was instantaneous, right? <laughs> it's, and it's incredible because, like, if Morbius actually just explained, like, hey, so this is how the science works. Like, there's no need to be, like, antsy or, like, freaking out here. This is your friend that you've established you can have this conversation with. Be like, look, if you do this, you become a monster. This is not, like, this is not the answer for you. I'm going to keep working on the answer for you. This will literally turn you into a blood-sucking monster. And I don't think you actually want that. But maybe Lucian, which <laughs> I am not uh, underrating how on the nose that kind of devil name uh, is uh, for, for Matt Smith's character here. Maybe he was just waiting for an excuse to be evil. But if that's the case, why is that not set up in the multiple conversations that we have between the two characters before that point? Like, it's, you get one scene of him being bullied as a kid, but when he has a conversation, you know, first at the apartment and then inexplicably let's go on a walk to talk about the sensitive stuff out in public, which is wild. I don't know why the apartment wasn't going to work for that. Um, I guess they just needed to have a walking scene just to make it seem more interesting than it was. Like, you could have foreshadowed this, right? You could have had this, like, darker element to the character where it's like, oh, wow, you've really gone to a dark place on this and you have a real resentment for people. I better find a cure quickly and I promise I'm going to do that as quickly as I can. And then you get the idea, like, then it makes sense that even if you explain it naturally, he'll be like, I don't care. I will be a monster if it means that I get to live. And then that would be a really interesting character moment, right? Like, that's a much more interesting villain than, like, whatever the hell Lucian is in this. Which, I will say this, Matt Smith has a great time with this role. He's the one person in this film who seems to be having a lot of fun with it. And once he gets to be the villain role of it, uh, the film comes alive whenever he is on screen. Because um, it turns out Matt Smith's a good actor unlike uh, several of the other people in this film. But it's just, it's so easy to imagine a version of this script with a few rewrites, like taking the time to actually consider what people are and like how people think and how they react to things. And it just never happens. Never happens. I, I want to sit on Matt Smith for a moment because... I think he was the the bright spot in this movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's really lowering the bar, and I feel bad for saying it, but his portrayal of Lucian, and I will say it took, it took towards the end of the movie for me to go like, wait, Lucian, Mike, oh, fuck, is this a, is this a Lucifer Michael allegory? Like, it took me a little <laughs> bit to get there in terms of like, I immediately got Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Like, it took me to that final fight scene. I was like, Oh shit! Like I hate when religion enters my Marvel like superhero movies. Like I don't, I don't fucking like that. I thought he did a great job, and honestly, the 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 crop of like Doctor Who actors that all of a sudden go play like super charismatic villains or like 
I guess if we want to talk about him playing uh, uh, Aemon Targaryen in um, House of the Dragon being like eh, on the border of being a villain is like incredible. We have David Tennant playing um, the man in purple in the Jessica Jones series. We also have Matt Smith again playing uh, the, the villain in Last Night in Soho. Like it's incredible how these guys are like these lovable Doctor Who characters and then immediately they're like, hey, let's go play a fucking bad guy. Let's let's go play a villain, and they are amazing at it. And I just feel like he bounces off of Jared Leto incredibly well because Jared Leto has this. There is a charisma to him. There is that sort of like mid two thousands emo alt rock kind of charisma to him, and just the gaunt black long hair expression and then there's like this goofy british dude but all of a sudden you see in some of these scenes this like even before he becomes you know a vampire like there is this like glint of evil in his eyes and this glint of desperation in his eyes that he would literally do anything to live longer the scene between him and, and jared leto where you know morbius is basically telling him like i can't give you the cure because it's not a cure it's a curse there is a desperation that both actors are able to do that matt smith feels believable where jared leto's and morbius's it does feel like no i just i, I don't want you to live like oh no I, I i can't possibly let you have this like until the very end where he like yells at him and is like run like leave and like finally shows out the beat like why wouldn't you show all the other stuff that you could do oh because it's cool and he'd want to do it even more so it just came off as as very like fake desperation from morbius but very pure desperation coming from lucian because he's going to die without a cure right it's just the laziest way of getting to that point right like there are so many ways to make that dynamic more interesting. The idea of maybe Lucian being much more aware of the downsides and choosing to take them anyway, rather than this like very obfuscating answer from Jared Leto's uh, character. Like it, it would have, th there's a way to do it. And Matt Smith, he fucking sells it. Um, and there's a scene, I think it's, uh, you know, well after he's turned into a vampire where he's just like shirtless and doing a little bit of a dance and he's feeling himself in that moment. And it's really fun. And it's because Matt Smith understands that this character loves to live after spending so much of his time dying. He's the one person in this film who truly understands the assignment of what they were doing here. Um, so many other characters are kind of just vacillating based on what the script needs them to be. And Lucian gets to be the, no, I, I just want to, uh, to get revenge on the people who I feel wronged me and I am happy to trade their lives for my own. And that's enough to carry that character, but it's not enough to carry a plot. It's enough to give a plot point, but it is not a plot. Uh, and, you know, maybe in a world in which the other supporting cast people mem matter, right? Like, let's say if Dr. Bancroft was more than just, uh, you know, desperately trying to flirt with Dr. Morbius um, and 
essentially being the quote unquote smart one in the room, uh, despite being completely ineffective at, at doing much to actually push the plot forward, except for when she gets captured at the end. And the film decides that we need to kill both the mentor character and the girlfriend character, which really feels like overkill until you remember that in the story she becomes a vampire. And even though we haven't established that Morbius can do that, um, we need to now establish it. But that would require some forethought as to how Morbius's powers work in this story and like explaining how you know, a bite could possibly transmit some of this stuff when, as far as we know, the vial's the only way to do it before that point. Like, you know, again, I'm I'm going to keep rewriting the script here, Walter, into a film that makes sense. I hope that's okay. Imagine if Morbius has one of the vials, like the last remaining vial that Lucian didn't take, and he sees that Dr. Bancroft is going to die, and he decides to inject her with the vial rather than feeding on her so that she will live. And then she wakes up as a vampire and resents him for it. Like, what an interesting villain that would be, right? Like, I would have rather died than become the monster that you pointed out no one would want to be, but you made that choice for me. That's such an interesting dynamic for their relationship. But no, it's just she's going to die anyway, so you might as well just bite her to get the life energy so you can justify the really ridiculous fight scene at the end that also doesn't make sense because it requires a complete kind of divide and understanding of how each of their powers work despite the fact that it should be the same powers for morbius and lucian and and so they just it's just so lazy it's so lazy it's like well you know he's he's kind of like a vampire so the bite's fine no that's not how it's not how film should work, Walter. It's just not how film should work. Well, Chase, I think the problem is is that you're you are trying to make sense of what is something purely and ultimately flawed, and you would have to literally rewrite the entire movie for it to be something that remotely makes sense. I guess it comes down to like, hey, why why did we want a Morbius movie? And I I, I don't know that we did. I don't think anybody anywhere was clamoring for like, hey, let's do a Morbius movie. And at the end of the day, it's we want to do this expansion. And guys, don't worry. I understand. It's like, wait a minute, Walter, why are you talking about the greater universe when you haven't fucking talked about Jared Leto yet? I'm going to save Jared Leto for the end. Because I don't know how long that fucking rant is going to go. And I want to get to this other other couple topics before I get to Jared Leto. So hold your horses. He'll be at the end. Thank you for your time. (laughs) <laughs> but they wanted to do the Sinister Six thing. And if you look at the comics, he's only in the Sinister Six like once. Yeah. So why the fuck are we doing Morbius? It's a weird Sinister Six situation that we find. A situation, if you will. Because if you look at the founding members, right? You have Sandman, who has already been seen in the uh, Peter, uh, in the, uh, excuse me, Tobey Maguire spider-man universe you have electro who's already been seen in the uh andrew garfield andrew garfield spider-man thank you very much uh doc ock has also been in the in the toby Maguire spider-man universe so like these villains that were the original members have already been established and the thing is right 
if you wanted to try to be fair and balanced, you could look at this and say, well, Sony's got a difficult problem on their hands, right? Because those villains have already been used in other movies with these iconic actors that we don't want to replace. And since you can't just go back and have those people return to the story, you're stuck trying to rebuild them here or to build the Sinister Six in a different way. That's the only way that this works. Which is completely ruled out by the post credit scene in which Vulture comes back because apparently this is the universe he belonged to all along. And so whatever Dr. Strange did, whatever the fuck he did in that film, he sent Vulture back to this timeline, even though nobody recognizes him and he had an established family in the main MCU universe. So what the hell do you mean that this is where he belonged the entire time? Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. But if that's the nonsense, why can't we bring all those characters back, right? You just redid Electro in a way that's so much more interesting than he was in the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man role, right? You just did Mysterio and blew him in the MCU, but because all of these other superheroes died, why can't he come back, right? These supervillains, they all had passed away and came back for that film, so why couldn't Mysterio? Why can't Mysterio be sent back and have that be a way of fixing up the timeline, right? Because people liked that version of Mysterio quite a bit. There's so many ways they could approach this, but for whatever reason, and, and this is something that can only be known to Sony execs, they have decided that they want to only rely on that for, I guess, Vulture, and we're going to do a Craven the Hunter film at the end of this year. And we're going to bring Venom in, even though Venom's not really known for doing this. And Morbius is definitely not known for this. And the way he's been set up shouldn't necessarily be on board. But also, Vulture shouldn't really be on board with what the Sinister Six is meant to be now. Like, what? what is this project? They're not teaming up to fight Spider-Man because as far as I can tell, Spider-Man doesn't exist in the Sony Spider-Man universe, which is fine until Vulture mentions him, to which Morbius's response should be, who the hell are you talking about? All of this is just a self-inflicted mess, and I genuinely do not know how Sony plans to put all these pieces together the only comparison I can think of is back when Universal wanted to do the monster movie universe and they did that terrible <laughs> like mummy film with Tom Cruise and Dracula Untold, which I actually quite enjoyed um, because it's terrible, but it's really fun. Terrible. Um, highly recommend that film to people who enjoy bad films. Like they just threw all these characters and like, it'll make sense. And it didn't, it never did. And that's why they dropped the idea. And that seems like where we're going, right? Like, this can't work. None of this can work. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is, yeah, he's in New York. Like, Morbius is in fucking New York. And we have no discussions, no mentions about Spider-Man at all existing. 
when like Morbius is in the the Spider-Man universe, like he is a Spider-Man character. This isn't one of those things where it's like, well, you know, he's kind of in Spider-Man, he's kind of in Iron Man, he's kind. No, this is a fucking Spider-Man character. This isn't like Kingpin. That like Kingpin is a Spider-Man and a Daredevil character. Like, there's no cross-pollination here. Morbius is Spider-Man. He interacts with Spider-Man. And you know what? I'm totally okay with Michael Keaton and Vulture being like, hey, let's fucking run the Sinister Six. I actually don't want to see another um, Dr. Octopus that's not Alfred Molina. Like, I only ever want to see him play by Alfred Molina. I never want to see another Doc Ock. I don't actually ever want to see another Green Goblin unless it's Willem Dafoe. Like, I just don't want to see those. So I'm okay with Vulture, Michael Keaton being kind of the star of this thing. What I'm not okay with is these tangential characters or these characters that barely ever fucking interact with the Sinister Six and Morbius and Venom being the Sinister Six. Like, at this point, why would Venom want to join Vulture and Morbius, apparently, or or Vulture and Electro, or Vulture and Scorpion, or whoever? Like, why would Venom want to join them at this point? The movie that you have given us about Venom have been like, he's an anti-hero. He's Blade. He's Spawn. He's like, yeah, he's not a great guy because he's it's this demon entity that's essentially possessing him. But, like, for the most part... He's a he's an anti-hero. Like he saves people. He's not a villain. He's not out there killing people or blowing things up. So how are you going to convince me that that Tom Hardy version of Venom wants to fight Peter Parker? And 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 it's Tom Holland at this point because Sony owns the rights to Spider-Man. So at any point they can just be like Tom Holland, you're Spider-Man. Guess what? Now you're fighting the Sinister Six. And none of it makes sense with the broader MCU. Because Tom Holland's Spider-Man, other than these very few moments that happen in the most recent movie uh, where, where Aunt May dies and there's the betrayal by, by Green Goblin, those little things, none of the Spider-Man movies have been dark in any sense of the word. And let's be honest, the Spider-Man films, whether it's Maguire, Garfield, or Holland, have not worked when they have gone dark outside of the one moments the 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 very emotional moments where it's like somebody fucking dies where it's uncle ben dying where it's aunt may dying or when it's uh or when it's green goblin himself getting killed and there's that emotional scene where spider-man and um and harry osborne are interacting in the in the original trilogy like those dark moments don't work unless it's literally emotional it's sadness it's sadness and it's this rage that kind of comes over them because a loved one has passed away it's one of those things where i don't envy the people who have to run this universe because it's very clear that marvel doesn't want to give them spider-man like if this was to make more sense right venom could not exist without spider-man because his jealousy of Spider-Man is a core part of how that character was founded. Now, if we're in an alternate universe, right, and there are these versions of characters that have appeared from these alternate timelines, shouldn't the timeline that we are in have its own Spider-Man? It should, right? Like, th there should be a Spider-Man around in the same way there should be an Iron Man around in the same way, because all these other villains 
theoretically could exist in this universe. But it can't work that way because it can't go in reverse because that would mean that the MCU and Sony's universe are the same. And they don't want that, which means Peter Parker isn't coming. Tom Holland is not coming to save these films. So you have a Venom character that isn't really Venom because Venom is so tied to a character he does not play off of at any point. It isn't even included when they have the chance to have some interaction there um, in the the No Way Home. You have a, a Morbius character that has no interaction with Spider-Man and therefore there's nothing that they're like meant to team up against, right? Like what's Vulture's pitch? We're going to get together to do what? What does Vulture want in a universe that as far as we can tell, he's never been a part of before now? And if he has, then what the hell was Homecoming? How does anything in Homecoming make sense if that is a thing that he would possibly be influenced by? So the whole concept on which this is built doesn't work. And it's the reason I've never been very interested in the Venom films, even though I have heard that Tom Hardy gives a fun performance and the second one is more fun than the first one, according to people that I've talked to. Like, I'm, it doesn't seem like a great film, but I'm sure it has at least some amount of merits somewhere along the line. But it's a project that is doomed to fail because it's a project that shouldn't exist. It exists because Sony executives have a lot of properties that they would like to make money off of. And if they don't use these characters, then the MCU will. And they won't make as much money as if they made their own film. Though, to be quite frank with you, given the box office of Morbius, kind of feels like they would, right? Like even a small cut of the MCU film, whatever cut that they've negotiated, would be more than what this film made during its box office run. I don't know, man. I don't know how you do this. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. And I don't think Craven's going to fix it. Um, all we know about the Craven Hunter film that's coming out in October of this year, that's still happening, uh, is that apparently uh, Craven is going to be reframed as more of a conservationist, which given that he's a big game hunter, it's going to be a hard sell because uh, the world is a lot less kind to big game hunters than the character when the, when the character was initially released. What a mess. The only, the only way this makes sense long term is if this is not a Tom Holland movie. The way this makes sense long term. Th th this is the return of McGuire. And this is Sinister Six is the Spider-Man 4, the Logan version of Spider-Man, and we get something that is definitely PG-13, but maybe R, and it is a deconstruction of Spider-Man down to his core as this old, weary man, sort of like what they did with the, spider, with the older Spider-Man in Into the Spider-Verse. And this is... McGuire comes back, you know, from from the other universe, kind of doubles down and goes, yeah, I was right to give up being Spider-Man. And then the Sinister Six figure out he's Peter Parker. And they kill Aunt May. 
and they go after Mary Jane, and we get a proper send-off for Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. That is the only way I can think that it would make sense, because that way you could do a... I can't see Tom Holland doing an adult version of Spider-Man, a rated R-style, very dark, depressing, Dark Knight-esque kind of Spider-Man. I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. And it's nothing to do with him as an actor in terms of his acting chops, but I just don't think he fits that role of Spider-Man. But I also don't think Tobey Maguire comes back. He said that he's done. He said he didn't want to answer any more questions about the character, that he felt like No Way Home was putting a close on that chapter. Like, Andrew Garfield would make more sense, right? Because then you can claim that his universe is the one with Electro and you could use the Doctor Strange plot device in order to bring him and Electro back and maybe that's something. I don't, I don't think it's much of something. I think, and in all honesty, right? Like I understand that for uh, into the spider verse and that franchise. Now Marvel is very comfortable with there being multiple different Spider-Men. I don't think Marvel wants multiple live action Spider-Men running simultaneously, especially given the reviews that Sony's unit, uh, Sony's films have gotten that's going to be seen as tarnishing the brand. And Disney is not going to allow their brand to be tarnished just to save Sony's ass. I don't think that's happening. I like, we know the films that are scheduled, right? We're getting an El Muerto film uh, that I believe is going to star Bad Bunny, if I remember correctly, which is going to be wild. I actually don't mind the pick, given that I actually liked Bad Bunny's performance in Bullet Train. I just think it's wild he agreed to this. And we're going to get Madam Web, who neither of those people are kind of known for Sinister Six either, but at least they're a little bit more interesting. If I had any faith in it, you know, maybe there's going to be a Venom sequel at some point because those films are making enough money. Nightwatch and Jackpot have been floated, but like, I don't think Spider-Man is coming. I don't think that's something Disney is going to allow to happen. And that is the rub that these films continue to run into. And the only way to fix it is to not let films like Morbius happen, right? To take the time to tell stories so that these characters stand up as individuals and have their own interesting dynamics that don't require them to have Spider-Man. But as of right now, what would make you want to see more of Morbius outside of him fighting Spider-Man as part of another team? Like, what's the plot hook that's going to keep you coming back? There's nothing. Well, well, listen, to start with, it has to not be Jared fucking Leto. And here we go, folks. I waited 50 minutes. I'm, I'm going to give you probably a good 10 here. I am so fucking sick and tired of watching Jared Leto. I don't think he's a good actor. I think he's very one note. I think he just does the very quiet talking and people confuse that for acting or emoting because it's a lack of emoting. There's no emotion to it. It's this very stunted, unrealistic style of humanity that I just brought up Jared Leto because I was like, wait a minute, there's another movie I've watched recently. I watched the fucking little things with my dad. 
that's the Denzel Washington, like, serial killer film that Jared Leto is in. And that might be the most emotion he's shown in either playing the Joker in the, in the, uh, um, the Justice League or the Suicide Squad movies. It's more emotion that that was realistic and like I believed that he actually was a serial killer than him playing Paolo Gucci in House of Gucci. And Morbius, the character felt completely synthetic. There was there was nothing realistic to him. The most realistic thing about him was the CGI that was over his fucking face. God, I don't understand Hollywood's obsession with this guy. He's fucking terrible. Yeah. I don't get it either. Um, he seems like it's one of those things where the explanation you want to hear is that, oh, he's just such a likable guy that people want to give him uh, opportunities. But he's like actively not like it's very famously. He does this whole like, oh, I'm such a method actor. I have to get into the role, which means that if I end up being an asshole to people, it's not intentional. It's just I'm playing this character like fuck off with that. Right. Acting is a job. Do a job. You don't have to, like, embody a character to the extent that you affect the people around you negatively. It's not a thing that's necessary, uh, and it doesn't make you deep or interesting to use that excuse against people. I hate people who make that method acting uh, argument, because if you're really good at it, you can turn it on and off. That's what a good actor does. Um, but beyond that, it's just... I don't... Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I understand that there's this idea of like a quiet intensity that people mistake some of his acting for. But I there's not a character to him. He's not capable of expressing the kind of nuance that would make any of his, you know, emotional pain that he's theoretically going through throughout the film actually land as anything meaningful. I, I liked 30 Seconds to Mars, right? Like, I think it's a good band. I, I enjoyed the, the music back when I listened to that kind of alt rock a lot more than I currently do. But it, that doesn't make you an actor, you know? It, it means that you're theoretically someone who feels a lot of emotions, but none of that is going to the screen. Um, and he... He said in an interview that he found this role surprisingly challenging since it was less character-driven than his prior performances, which is everything wrong with this film. Because it should be character-driven. Because Morbius as a character should matter. It's the only reason any of us should be here, is to make this you know, doctor-turned-vampire interesting and captivating and able to stand on his own because there's enough nuance and enough growth and development for us to care about what happens to him. And if he looked at the role and was like, oh, it's not really character-driven, then you missed the entire fucking point. And maybe that's on the scriptwriters, and maybe that's on the director uh, telling him that it's not about getting so character-driven. Maybe he tried to get character-driven. He was such an asshole around set that people told him not to and, like, tone it back. You don't need to be so into the character. And he took that as, oh, it's not character-driven. I don't know. It's all speculation. I don't have any, like, stories or whatever. I just know none of this works. And none of this was ever going to work because he's not capable of the kind of nuance that this role would need if it was ever going to work. 
And at the end of the day, like, he's not even a good guy in the film. Like, he doesn't seem conflicted. And all the emotion that he ever has in the entire movie is when he's just, like, roaring as as Morbius. And it's all CGI. And, like, hey, that's easy to fucking do with some dots on your face and just opening your mouth. And that's not acting. And there's, right now, I have IMDb up because I always pull it up. So I have, you know just some reference for actors and what they were in and all these sort of things. And like, they talk about that the choice to do CGI was Jared Leto and that he like really pushed for it over prosthetics. And like, hey, guess what? Actually, through one of these fucking trailers that we're playing, there's a scene that shows Morbius walking in front of some graffiti of Spider-Man that has murderer written over it. Guess where everybody thinks Spider-Man is a murderer? In the fucking Marvel Cinematic Universe because everybody thinks he killed Mysterio. So wait, was Vulture transported to a different planet? But then why is it this planet where everybody thinks Spider-Man's a murderer? None of it makes sense. It makes even less sense now. And at the end of the day, right... The point of this movie is to make me care about Morbius as a character. It is to get me invested into it. It is to make me question like, hey, what 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 are you going to do with Morbius? Where does he come into this? Is he a good guy or is he a villain? Is he an anti-hero? Hey, how do, how do he and Venom interact with each other? How do they and Vulture interact with each other? And like, I don't want any of that. I just want Vulture. I just want more Michael Keaton Vulture. That's all I want. I want an entire another fucking movie of Michael Keaton and Tom Holland going back and forth at each other and Michael Keaton being like, I know who you are, Peter, and just taunting him the entire time while like the rest of the world is just like, wait, you know Spider-Man's identity? And he's like, yeah, but I don't want to tell anyone. Like what? Listen, you guys are going to have to like, you know, give me a pardon for all the bad shit I've done. And, like, you're going to have to pay me a bunch of money and tell you what, I'll hunt down Spider-Man for you and him and Jonah Jameson just, like, tee off together. Like, that's what I want to fucking see. I don't give a shit about Jared Leto playing a fucking hack vampire character that, like, isn't even among the top 100 best Marvel characters. Maybe top 100 is a little, you know, little, uh, little over the top. But top 50? No, it's not like, top nobody 100. That's fair. fucking asked for this. Nobody asked for this movie. And, like, it's so goddamn depressing that Disney and Sony can't get their shit together and just agree, like, okay, guys, we have to share the character, so let's do something smart and cohesive here. Let's actually do something fucking consistent. And now we have to try and pair these two very dark, very black and purple and blue screened movies with Spider-Man that is bright and vibrant. They've chosen the bright and vibrant um, villains in all of those movies. Like, you fucking try and convince me Tom Holland can do a dark, gritty Spider-Man movie, and I will sell you a bridge in Alaska. There is no way, and that is nothing against Tom Holland, but I just don't think that that is what that version of Peter Parker is. I just don't, I don't even fuck think you, that's, Jared Leto. I, I don't even think it's in the works. I genuinely do not see a world in which Spider-Man appears in this universe, which I think should be a great example of why this universe shouldn't exist. But, like, I'm looking at the chart here, because on Wikipedia they have a chart of all these films that they have planned, and it's Bad Bunny as El Muerto. You've got Dakota Johnson as Madam Web. You've got Donald Glover as the Hypno-Hustler? What? I... 
I don't know how much of this is actually going to happen. Um, you know, in development is something that that comes up and is then like often dropped because of other issues or whatnot. So I, I don't want to say that all of this is absolutely 100% going to happen, but it just feels like they're just throwing stuff at the wall because as long as they're making some amount of money on these characters, it is better than letting Marvel make all of the money off of these characters. Sony has made a very calculated choice that the films that they are making that don't have to cut Marvel in based on the ownership rights that they have are worth more to them than not making things and waiting for Marvel to agree to let these characters appear in a Spider-Man film that they could then profit off of. Because for Sony, Spider-Man doesn't get enough films for them to justify that. You're only going to get one new villain per Spider-Man film, and Spider-Man's only going to get a film once every few years. That's the calculus they've made. I really do believe it's that cynical. That's why I believe this train's going to keep on rolling as long as they're making some amount of progress on it. As long as there's something that keeps the train moving and they make some amount of money, they're going to keep going. Um, so we'll fucking see, man. I mean, Morbius grossed $167 million at the box office off a budget of $75 million. Uh, that's a flop by all accounts, uh, given how much marketing and whatever else was probably also involved there. But it also wasn't such a terrible flop that it's going to slow the train. They're going to need multiple different failures back to back to back for anything here to change. And given the way the film industry works, I don't think we're going to see an adjustment to what we learned doesn't work here until after a couple other projects that I got to tell you, I'm not optimistic for. I don't see it. I don't see how we get there. Um, yeah, man. I, I don't even know who El Muerto is. I have no idea what that character is. Oh, El Muerto is <laughs> a wrestler with superhuman strength. Okay, that's kind of cool. That's kind of neat. They're that... going to do an entire film about that and, and with Bad Bunny, and he's going to be a, 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 a good guy? He's a very minor character. Like, I can't stress enough how minor this character is uh, in the comics themselves. Um... But he exists, and they basically worked backwards and said, well, we want Bad Bunny to be in a film, which, to be fair, given Bad Bunny's popularity, I too would want him in a film. Who's the Marvel, who's the Spider-Man villain we own the rights to who is the closest to Bad Bunny? Well, it would be El Muerto, obviously. Again, Donald gotcha. Glover's supposed to be in a hypno-hustler film. What the fuck is happening? Why did Donald Glover I, I, agree to that? I, I I don't know who Hypno Hustler is either. I got to tell you, man, it's not great. That is not a character I would have resurrected. That was a character from the 70s. You know what? Actually, I'm going to send you a picture of what the Hypno Hustler looks like oh right now on Discord. God. And you oh you God. tell me if you think this is oh going to end God. well. Oh, God, no. Oh, you know what, though? If there's anybody who <laughs> can pull it off and it not be racist, it's Donald Glover. <laughs> not worried about donald glover in terms you know of whether what? it ends yeah. up being if there's if there's anyone that can pull it off correctly it'll be donald glover i'll give it to that that man is pure sex on a stick don't Sh even care sure don't even care oh my god chase we've eclipsed the hour mark talking about this fucking movie <laughs> it's... god damn it there's a lot chase, of final stuff. scores oh final, final scores. scores get me off of this ride
a one. It's terrible. Um, it's enjoyably bad. I will say I had a blast. Like if you are someone like me who is interested in the art of screenwriting, I think it is a fascinating film because I think every single part of this is wrong. Every single bit. They did not accidentally get something right as far as I can tell. So if that's the kind of thing that's interesting to you, I think you're going to enjoy it. If you're not very interested in the screenwriting and you're like, oh, I want really over-the-top terrible acting performances, Jared Leto isn't kind enough to even give you that. Matt Smith doesn't have enough screen time to justify it, and everything else is relatively boring from a performance perspective. So whether it's so bad it's bad or so bad it's good really comes down to how you feel about screenwriting. But it's bad. It's really bad. It's a bad film, and people should feel bad for having created it. And they should feel bad for the mentality that led to its existence. It's such a cynical project at its core. Say what you will about the Venom film. I haven't watched it because I haven't cared because I felt like the idea of doing Venom without Spider-Man was inherently a terrible idea. But at least it tried, you know? Ah. <sighs> Man. It, it did try. It did try, and it has continued the motif of having Tom Holland and act and try and speak as little as possible. Um, but listen, here's the thing. I, I'm going to give it a two. I'm going to give it one for Matt Smith's performance because I love Matt Smith right now. He's he's doing a bang-on job at everything that I've watched him in. Being this kind of slightly smarmy asshole, I will completely give him that. Um I was going to give it a half point for something else, but I don't remember. It's it's lost out of my head. So again, a half point for something. And then it gets a half point because Jared Leto, as much as I fucking hate your guts, and I never wanted to watch another fucking movie that you're in, I am going to give you a half a point for the scene in which you go into the counterfeiter's den and you tell them that you, you need his laboratory and you go, I am Venom. And scare the dude away. And then, after breaking all the bones in his hand, nonchalantly are like, uh, yeah, six to eight weeks, some ibuprofen until it heals, you'll be fine. That was a genuinely funny 30 seconds of the film. I will give you your roses for that. Other than that, go fuck yourself. I am done with your shit. Yeah. But if you're not done with this shit, and you want to continue to browbeat Chase or I on the internet, Chase, where can the good folks at home find you online? Uh, you can find me at Chase Wassner on Twitter. You can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. Uh, we love hearing from you. Uh, we love uh, hearing what y'all think about this. I don't think we're going to find some morb heads that uh, will defend this film. I don't think an unironic defense of this film exists. But if you're out there and somehow listening to this, I'd love to hear it. I would love to see how you could possibly build a framework Um but otherwise, uh, just know uh, we are going to get to some good films as we move forward. This was a, a diversion, a self-inflicted wound on my end, uh, and we're going to get back on track starting next episode towards some really interesting films that I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about for very different reasons than I was excited to talk about this today. I can't wait for the next like six episodes for me to count the number of times I say blatant Oscar bait. I, I feel like I deserve that now after watching this. And I do apologize to you, Chase, for being the one that has suggested this. I think after this and Moonfall, I think we're finally even for Space Chimps too. 
So I'm not going <laughs> to hold that over your head anymore. I've made you watch two pretty terrible movies versus what was arguably the worst movie created of all time. Uh, as always, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, and yeah, I don't, I, I think I know what movie we're, we're going to be reviewing next. I don't have a great way to uh, to tease it because I don't know a whole lot about it. Oh, did you not get the bag into... of feathers I sent you to go with the, the film? The feathers? And... Ah, gotcha. Bag yeah. of feathers. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Yup. Totally. Totally. Yup. I think everybody will figure it out. But we're headed into Oscar season, baby. And hopefully we'll have some good films. Hopefully we'll have some arty films. And no, we're not watching Top Gun Maverick again. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Until next time. Goodbye, Internet.